as our goldfish kids are going out, I want to introduce a friend um, that I just met this week through telephone conversations that I met in person today. Stephen Kozak, he's from Remedy Live. They're going to be sharing with us today as we say that our services are going to be more interactive when it comes to that. And so I remind you again, if you didn't get the, um, the username and password for Wi-Fi, if you need that for today, it's in your bulletin. Stephen, can you come up, my brother? Let's give Stephen a warm welcome to Broadway. Well, good morning. All right, give me a second to get all my nonsense here set up because I have so many things I have to get going here. While I do that, tell you a little bit about me, a little bit about why I'm here, and a little bit about what we're going to do. First things first, you are going to need your cell phone out. I know, it's church, it's weird. It's just, we're just going to get that off the table right now. It is weird, it is different, but you're going to need your phone. Uh, and it is critically important. How, show of hands, quick, how many have heard of Remedy Live? A few of you. Good. For those that have not, let me tell you a little bit about what we do. And if you forget the name, I wore it on my shirt today. So that's easy, okay? While I do that, when you while you have your phone out, I need you to go to a website. Do not Google it. If you Google it, you're going to come across the website from an event that was from like six years ago that doesn't exist because Google won't get rid of it. So you're going to go to RemedyPoll, R-E-M-E-D-Y-P-O-L-L dot com, RemedyPoll dot com. It's going to ask you for an access code. The access code, big surprise, is Poll, P-O-L-L. Lowercase, uppercase, does not matter. Okay, RemedyPoll.com, access code is poll. Okay, so essentially, and I'll give you guys a chance to kind of get rocking and rolling. It's going to take a few minutes. I can see how many people are opting in. I've got all the controls right here on my computer, and I can do all kinds of nifty, fun things. So, my, like I said, my name is Steve, and I'm from Remedy Live. And we are essentially a mental health ministry, but we're not therapists. We have a group of people we call listeners, soul medics. We have people who do events. We have people who do um, content creation, storytelling. And what we specialize in is creating what we call meaningful conversations about the messiest places of life. And that place is our mental health. We talk about our physical health. In church, we talk about our spiritual health. We talk about our relational health. But we hate, absolutely hate, talking about our mental health. But we know it's critically important. Because if you watch statistics over the course of time, the mental health of the entire world, not just the United States, but the entire world worldwide is considerably getting worse. Now, there's a variety of reasons for that, and we could talk about that all day long, and I could give you the laundry list of why I think that's the case. Ask my wife. I won't shut up about it. I'll spare that for you this morning because we're going to do a whole bunch of different things. But we have to talk about this. So what we're going to do this morning 
is I'm going to get the conversation started. And my hope is, my prayer is, is that as I get this conversation started, when I leave here and you never see me again, even though Fort Wayne is super small, that the conversation here will continue. The conversations in your families, amongst your friends and coworkers will continue and you will have the boldness to take that even further. A little bit about me. Been in Fort Wayne only about six years. We moved here from Chicago. We moved to Chicago from Los Angeles, and I'm originally from Detroit. We've been all over. I've spent nearly 20 years working in youth ministry, went to seminary, was super into apologetics and did a bunch of stuff, wrote some books. I taught for 12 years in, the Christian, in a Christian high school. And that's actually why we moved out to L.A., I worked at a Christian high school in Pasadena. It was a great experience. We were only there for a couple of years, but it was fantastic. Great ministry opportunity to be in a place that was just incredibly different. Especially, I have four kids. Having four kids in California is very hard. Everything is small, and you can't afford anything. A 1,200-square-foot house in Burbank, California, is over a million dollars. My house is like 2,000-something square feet, and it isn't even close to a million dollars. In fact, my rent for my two-bedroom, 900-square-foot apartment is almost twice, or was, almost twice as much as my mortgage is now. It's $2,300 a month for less than 1,000 square feet on the third floor in a place that was not the nicest. But Burbank is a beautiful place. But eventually we had to move out. Well, we were, were pretty new to California. We didn't know many people. And we were still establishing a church community. And we had to move. And you know, if you live in an apartment or you've ever lived in an apartment, you know how apartments work. When they say it's time to move out because your contract is up, you have to leave. You don't get a choice. And if you're going to stay there longer, you're going to be in trouble and you're probably going to pay twice as much, which obviously, given the price of the apartment, I can't afford that. So we had the move date. We were going to move. We had a nicer place, a little bit farther away. It was going to be great. I rented a U-Haul, contacted everyone I knew, and they all said, oh, sorry, man, can't do it. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, that's like the worst thing in the world, right? You're trying to move, and you don't have anybody to help you move. I had four little kids at the time. My youngest had just been born. So my wife was useless. Now, she's really good at this kind of stuff normally. I mean, she's, she'll put in the work. She's great at packing. She always packs the cars and trucks and all this stuff when we go on trips. That's what she does, and she's awesome at it. But she's got four kids to deal with, so that's going to be on her. She's got other things that she has to do. I even called my dad all the way back in Detroit and said, Listen, I'll pay for you to get on a plane and come out here and help me move. And he goes, Sorry, I can't do it. You're just going to have to wait. Like, what part of I can't wait don't you understand? So you know what I did? I got the U-Haul. I parked it out front of the apartment building. And I moved an entire apartment, couches and all, by myself. A dolly and some bungee cords can do a lot of things. It took me from 9 a.m., and I put the last thing in our new place at 3 a.m. the next morning. 
and I fell over. <laughs> that was it. I was done. I did it. I mean, I, bo I, I boasted that forever, like, oh, yeah. And I remember, I actually, I'm not a big, like, you know, I told you so kind of person. My dad told me, you can't do it by yourself. And of course, what did I say? Challenge accepted. That's how this is going to roll. You want to tell me I can't do it? Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it. And after I did it, I called him up. I wanted to call him up at 3 a.m. My wife said that was a bad idea. She was probably right. I called him up the next day, and I was like, did it. So there. And I still tell them that just because I was full of pride, right? That whole, like, I can do this on my own. Here's the thing. For most of us, that's how we take on our mental health. I can do this. I don't need help. Guys, more true for us. I don't need to talk about my feelings. I don't need to tell somebody what's going on. I don't need to sit down with a professional to say how I'm feeling or how however my parents decided to raise me somehow affected my decision-making skills now because for crying out loud, get over it, stop acting like a baby, suck it up, get it done. That was the attitude I was raised with. In fact, so much so, it took everything in me yesterday, all day. My son has been bugging me. He's eight years old, and he has been bugging me for years to race. He loves race cars, and he wants to race. And I said, fine. I made him wait two years, because I thought if he bugs me for a couple of years, that probably means he's serious. So I go all in. Thousands of dollars loans like i'm going all in guys this is it we're gonna do this we're gonna be a racing family and i'll be honest i did not think that my kid was gonna go drive a nascar i mean that's just probably not gonna happen or f1 or indycar or anything else but hey if he enjoys it that's cool six thousand dollar car four thousand dollar trailer equipment track fees repairs oh my goodness yesterday we're at the track and he's him and Han. And he looks at me and goes, I don't want to go out. Excuse me? It cost me a hundred bucks to be here right now. You mean to tell me that I could have gone and bought myself something for a hundred bucks? Like, what are we doing? It took everything in me not to do the boy, you get your butt in that car and you drive around in circles making left turns until they wave a flag at you to tell you to stop. That's how this is going to roll. I mean, I had to stop and say, nope, it's okay, because I didn't want to pass that on to him. I want him to be able to express to me what he's feeling and have me as a parent properly respond. And I've been struggling with that all night long. I didn't even sleep very well, because there's a part of me that's like, no, fuck it up. You have to do it. You have to get it done. You have to have that same sense of pride that I go after, even if it is slightly sinful. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And we're going to oscillate between what goes on the screen and Scripture and some stories, and we're going to have a little fun, and you are going to interact 
on your phone. And what I'm going to do from here is I'm going to push questions out to you on your phone. So if you haven't had a chance to opt in, looks like just about everybody is, which is awesome. The great thing about this is this is completely anonymous. I have no idea who's on doing what. You have a little fun little name on there, and that's if we do trivia, and there's prizes we give out to sometimes for for certain groups and whatnot, and we have some fun with it. And that's how we know. But we still have no idea who you are because we want this to be completely anonymous because if we can start an anonymous conversation... My hope is that what you'll see on the screens this morning tells you that, guess what? You are not alone. Can you imagine if I sat in a room with a bunch of people looking for people to help them move? We could have helped all each other move and just scheduled it. It would have been great. So let's warm up real quick. We're just going to warm up. I'm going to ask you a really easy question, okay? I'm going to ask how, how you are. How are you doing right now? Zero is a terrible, you woke up this morning, you realize it was raining, you're like, this is a terrible day. By the way, congratulations. Most people, when they, when they wake up and it's raining outside on a Sunday morning, what do we say? I'm not going anywhere. That extra cup of coffee sounds really good. Just kind of chill out. Ten is like you love the rain. It's like amazing. It looks like you guys are doing pretty good. Okay? And this is fun how this works. See, you can see in real time, exactly what this entire room is thinking. Now, we're going to touch base. I want you to keep this question in the back of your mind because we're going to come back to this question. It's how are you versus how are you really. So keep that in the back of your mind. But let's do, let's do something fun. Let's do another kind of a little quick warm-up here just to make sure everyone knows what's going on because these are really important questions to, uh, to gather and to make sure that we understand how this works. Because if you don't really understand how many pounds of bamboo a giant panda can eat, how can you go about the rest of your day? Now, this is actually going to show, if, if you get it right and who's in the lead and stuff like that, we, don't, we won't get into too much of that. But I can actually show, I'll probably get it wrong, but I can, you can actually show the correct answer. So it looks like they're about in. Most people think it's 63 pounds. Interesting. How about 84 pounds? Did you go to Remedy Pole? Did you try it? Well, you can follow along up, up, up on the screen, and we'll see if we can get it to work. All right, one more, and then we're going to jump into things. I thought this one was interesting. In, in the spirit of... Um, today and what our weather is going to be like today. How many times per minute does lightning strike the earth? Fascinating. Let's see. 1,200, 52%. Oh, no, no, it dropped a little bit, 44%. Oh, now we're evening out. Those of you that said 1,200, you would be correct. That's a lot. That's so many times. And you know, I did find out that lightning can strike the same place twice. Yeah, that's, that, that's actually one of those like an old wives' tale that's not actually entirely true. All right, so now we all understand how it works and how this all goes. So most of you said that you're feeling pretty good. I'm glad. But if you had a secret struggle, if you were struggling with something, and it could be anything, 
could be lots of things. It doesn't have to necessarily be an actual diagnosed kind of a thing where you go to a therapist and you talk about a specific thing because you struggle with a specific kind of anxiety or you struggle with a specific kind of depression or some kind of diagnosed mental illness. That's not what we're talking about this morning. I don't want you to think that's what we're talking about. That can be part of it, but it's not all of it. Because if we struggle, the very first thing that we need to do is talk about it. And that's actually, it's, it's very encouraging to see that 70% of you are like, yeah, I would tell somebody. And so some of what we're going to talk to talk to today is about this other 25, 27, 28% of you who are like, meh, maybe not. So I'm going to issue a couple of challenges for you today. And to do that, I want to spend some time in Scripture. Because we're not just going to talk about mental health. We are going to talk about Scripture, and we are going to talk about Jesus. So I want you to take a second. We're going to come back to this. We'll leave that up because I want that to kind of sit there for just a second. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 5. Very early part of Jesus' ministry. Give you a second to get over there. Luke chapter 5, we're going to start, uh, and we're going to read a little bit, starting in verse 17. Let me set this up a little bit for you first. Now, Jesus is starting to make himself known as what we would just consider a traveling preacher and healer. There really isn't this mindset just yet that Jesus is some kind of Messiah, that he is the son of God, that he is divine. Like these are things that even the disciples all the way up through Acts, just before Jesus ascends in the very beginning of Acts, they're still a little bit confused. Like, wait, what is happening? And this idea of a man on earth who is the son of God, who is divine, who is God, for these young Jewish followers is just not there yet. It's just like, wait a minute, this doesn't actually compute. It doesn't make any sense. And what people were doing so much is just understanding like, wow, there is something tremendously cool about Jesus. So I'm just going to follow him around because maybe if I follow Jesus enough, I'm going to catch a glimpse of something really, really cool. So that's what people did. They just wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus doing something awesome. Chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. The Lord's power was to heal was in him. Just then, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. So if you can imagine this small house, roofs were often made of just mud and, and, and thatch and um, 
um, branches and whatnot, just kind of like lay it on top so it wouldn't be hard to kind of make room and kind of lower them down. That wouldn't be too difficult. But there's so many people, you can't even get in the door. And Jesus is doing his thing. And these friends were so insistent that they were going to stop at nothing to make sure they could get his friend to Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus says to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's weird. That's not why his friends brought him there, right? That's not, that's not at all why his friends were brought him. Like, no, 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 Jesus, I'm sorry. That's great. Um, but if you hadn't noticed, he's sort of paralyzed and... Frankly, we can't help him. We're hoping maybe you can. Sins are forgiven. That's great. Thanks. But the real practical application here is that we can get him healed. Now, I'm speculating. That's probably not what his friends thought, but that's what I think. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, wait a minute, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? You can't do that. You can't forgive sins. That's a God thing. That's not you. That's not happening. No way. Uh Uh-uh. Now we have a problem. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, of course, Jesus replies, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, Get up, take your stretcher, and walk. And the Pharisees and the teachers lose their ever-loving minds. Of course they would. I want to focus on three aspects of this passage. Normally when I teach this passage, I focus square in on the fact that this is a moment where Jesus gives everybody a glimpse that guess what? He's something more than just this traveling preacher. There's more to this. But that's not what I want to do today. That's great. I love that because this is all about Jesus. And we're going to make it all about Jesus this morning. But I want to take a different approach and focus on a couple of different things. The first thing I want to focus in is on these friends. These are some friends. These are the kind of friends that you want. These are the kind of friends that are the community of people that you would want to talk with. These are the kind of people that you should surround yourself with. Because these guys said, you know what? We want so bad to help our friend that we're going to grab a corner. We're going to take him and find any means necessary to get this person, our friend, in front of Jesus. So much so that we're willing to put a hole in somebody else's roof. Let me ask you guys this morning. Are you that kind of friend? Are you so willing to help your friend in whatever capacity to get them to the feet of Jesus that you're willing to put a hole in somebody else's roof? Are you? Because that's the kind of friends that we need, especially when it comes to our mental health. Because here's what we do. Let me go back to the how are you question, okay? When we walk into church, now I will admit, I noticed something different here. When I first got here, I paid attention. Because I am notorious. I grew up doing it. In fact, I thought I was pretty good at it. 
I'm really good at the walk into a public place, see somebody you know and go, hey, how you doing? Hey, what's going on? How you doing? I'm great. What's up? Yeah, all right. And I just keep on walking. Because I want to recognize I see that person, I like that person, but do I really have the time, the energy, and the mental capacity to get into a conversation with that person right now? We all know some of those people that you talk with, maybe you're that person that you get spoken to, and you just do, 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 do. you just talk. And that person's going... Yeah, well, um, all right, I got to get going. Maybe it's one of those phone conversations where they don't catch the, okay, well, um, I got to get going now. Or, okay, well, all righty then. That's the cue that the conversation's ending. And some people don't get that cue. You know who doesn't get that cue in my world? It's my wife. Love her dearly, but she's a verbal processor. And she verbally processes. And I'm just like, can I, do I have to be here for this? Can I go do something else? And when you figure out what you're saying, call me back. And I'll be happy to listen because you're losing me. That could be my attention span, but that's, that's, that's on me. Right? I'm to the point. Like, let's go. I got things to do. I don't make small talk. I'm not good at small talk. I don't do small talk. I got business to attend to. We're all different, and that's okay. But we all know those moments where we ask, how are you? But we don't ask, how are you really? We don't ask, how are you really? When I first joined Remedy Live, my very first assignments was to go and speak at this golf outing. I'm like, okay, what do I say? It's not believers, but for the most part. So I'm not going to talk about Jesus. Should, but I was asked not to. Okay. And I get up there, and I'm nervous. I'm not nervous to get up in front of people, but it's like the first time I've ever spoken on behalf of Remedy. So I'm like, I don't know. What, what do I say? So I did everything on the how are you really. And it was one of those times. As a pastor, you get used to nice message, nice sermon, good talk. And afterward, people were like, that was a wonderful speech. Like a speech? Do I have a speechwriter? I could go for a speechwriter. And they were a great group of people. And I talked about how are you really, and I challenged them to take it beyond how are you and move it to how are you really. And I didn't really think I made an impact. I was like, okay, that was great. See you later. Thank you very much. Did my thing, and I went home. It would be months later. I was approached by somebody and said, thank you for that talk. And I said, really? Why? She goes, because I went to work a few days later and one of my coworkers said, you know, hi, how are you? And I said, I'm great. And she said, I stopped. And I looked at her and I said, how are you really? And she goes, do you really want to know? Yeah, yeah, I really want to know. She just went all about her marriage was falling apart. Her kids and home life, everything was just she looked fine on the surface underneath everything was falling apart and she was so relieved to have the opportunity to talk to somebody about it because she asked one simple question adding one word i can't tell you in all the years that i've been in church 
how many times I have asked or been asked, how are you? And have been so tempted to say, I'm terrible. Life's awful. Just to see what people do. I like social science. I like experiments. It's fun. I always want to see what people are going to say to me, right? We just don't want to say it. So I'm going to say it. I'm glad to see that you know where things are available and you know how to access them, whether you have or not. I always like to ask just because that's helpful. But how would you rate your mental health right now? This takes how are you really to the next level. How's your mental health? Be honest. Don't give an answer that you think you should give. Give the answer that's real. Because that's what this morning is about. It's about being real. Right now, we are the paralyzed man on the mat going, listen, I need help. I need friends. I can't do this. I can't even get to Jesus on my own. I'm going to need some help. Because isn't that what the community of believers is all about? It's the whole point. To come together to help one another because God never designed us to be alone. It's kind of in the very, very beginning, right? Creates Adam and goes, says what to do the you know, collective trinity together? It's not good for man to be alone. Let's make a helper suitable. We're not supposed to be alone. And the fact that six and a half out of ten is saying, eh, I'm okay. Some days are good. Some days are bad. Maybe today's a good day. Maybe tomorrow won't be. We all struggle with something. I grew up thinking that mental health was like this really don't talk about kind of a subject where like it's just not a thing. And it was just that hush-hush thing that you don't talk about. I have an aunt who has been very sick for so many years. And I grew up with it. But after she had um, my cousin, who's just about my age, she was diagnosed with manic depressive. And so it, it, it just completely throws off your balance of whether you are... Um, in a very good mood or a very bad mood, um, to put it very, very, very simple. She was so bad that we were taught as children to give her grace because there were family gatherings where she would just snap at you and start yelling at you. And was like, why is Aunt Doris yelling at us? And my parents were like, well, you know, and she was explaining it very calmly and very graciously. My parents were awesome explaining it to us. I remember, I distinctly remember my brother when he was older getting uh, uh, into it with her. And my parents were like, you need to stop talking. You need to stop. So it was this, like, that in my mind was mental health or mental illness. But then when I walked away from the church, in middle school, high school, through college, and early in my career, I just completely walked away. I went into doing drugs. I went into alcohol. I went into the party lifestyle to the point where I considered 
suicide. But in my mind, I didn't have any mental health issues. It felt like reality. It felt like this is just how I should feel. Because my circumstances weren't what I wanted them to be. So my understanding of what it was and my experience of it actually happening to me were not lining up because I was too ashamed and too proud to admit that what I was going through was a mental health struggle. I didn't get any help until I met my wife who encouraged me to stop drinking. Jesus got a hold of me again and I went into full-time ministry. And everything began to change. Does that mean I don't struggle sometimes? Of course I do. We all do. All of us. On one level or another. Let me see if you guys know this. If I can find it. How many Americans live with mental illness? Do you know? Fairly common statistic that floats around out there. I like what you guys are thinking. Give you a second to finish. One in four. But here's the problem with that. Most of us don't think we're the one. We see that statistic, and this is what I did. I saw that statistic, and I said, well, gosh, I'm not, I'm not the one. No. Why would I be the one? No. I'm the other three. That's me. I'm not, I'm not the one. Everybody else that struggles is the one. I'm not the one. And you may not be the one. But you might be someday. We all have physical health. We all have mental health. We all need to take care of our physical wellness. We all need to take care of our mental wellness. And some of the biggest mistakes I see people making day in and day out is never believing that they could be or are, in fact, the one. So then we refuse to get help. What I love about this passage is that the paralyzed man had no other way to get to Jesus but his friends. The first layer of this is, are you that friend? Are you the kind of friend that's going to put a hole in somebody else's roof to get the people that you know, that you care about, the people that God has placed in your life, to get them to the feet of Jesus, to be there for them, to ask how are you really, to actually want to listen to the answer. The second layer to this is how much are you willing to be the recipient of that help so that the people around you can get you to Jesus, get you the help. When they ask, how are you really? When people you know say to you, how are you really? Are you willing to answer honestly and say, this is how I'm really doing? Because life can be hard. Things do happen. And sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we listen to the lies. Sometimes we don't believe that we have value. Sometimes we get anxious. Sometimes we get depressed. Sometimes we feel lonely. That's okay. Because here's the thing, guys. We live in a fallen world. It's messed up. And God put us together to take that 
love, that community, that camaraderie, and let the whole world know this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this is how we help healing, which leads me to the third layer that I want to talk about. I say a lot that the struggle is real. We say a lot, one of our silly little catchphrases at Remedy is that the, your secret struggle, the thing that you were holding on to, the thing that you refuse to tell anybody about, does not have the final say on your future. So I want to give you an opportunity right now to think through on a couple of different levels. We're going to work through this on a couple of levels. But what are you struggling with? Some of us struggle with telling somebody else, that's okay, we're going to get there. And I'm going to encourage you to get there this morning. But if you're not there yet, that's okay. This is the first step. Because until we name it, until we recognize it, you can have anxious thoughts, but they don't have to define you. You can have thoughts of loneliness, but it doesn't have to define and make you lonely. You can have thoughts of depression. That doesn't mean you have to live depressed. You have thoughts. You are not your thoughts. The goal is to separate what you think and the lies that we hear sometimes with the truth of what God tells us about each and every one of us and how valuable we actually are. And I love this. I love the honesty, depression, anxiety, hopelessness, loneliness, apathy. I love all of those because it's telling the truth. But let's take it one step further. Open-ended question. Let's be more specific. Let's be transparent. Let's open up and say, okay, God, I'm going to just say it right now. I'm not going to put them on the screen. I can see them, but this is where you say it. And by saying it, you're bringing yourself and Jesus into the conversation. And my encouragement to you would be to bring another person into that conversation as hard as it may be. Because you have friends around you that are willing to cut a hole in somebody else's roof. By the looks of this community and what I have seen so far this morning, you have somebody that will cut a hole in somebody else's roof for you to get you to the feet of Jesus. Because even though this struggle is real, my favorite part about working for Remedy, one of the things that people say to me all the time, like, why did you leave the church? I used to be on staff at Brookside, and I was a pastor, and I taught students, and I worked with students for, for 20 years. and all. Why did you start with Remedy? It's because I've seen the deterioration of mental health among students for years. And it scares me. I have a teenage daughter, another one soon to be a teenage daughter, another one that acts like a teenage daughter. <laughs> Who's not? My, my nine-year-old is going on 26. And it scares me a little. So I said, you know what? I'm going to get into the fight. And I think it's the number one thing that we don't want to talk about in church. And out of all the places that we can talk about, this is the place we should be. And you'd be surprised how many churches don't want to talk about it. So I applaud you guys for engaging in this conversation. Guys, this I'm not even going to read these out loud because I, I am so thankful 
and humbled that you guys are being dishonest. This is brutal honesty, and I love it. And what this reminds me, the struggle is real. But guess what? So is hope. Because of Jesus. That's what I love. Because no matter what, think about it. What did Jesus do? He said, your sins are forgiven and you're healed. That even though this man can't even move, there's nothing he can do. He's completely paralyzed. His life is entirely in Jesus' hands and he completely restores him. Every time, I want you, next time you read through scripture, if, if you're not already doing this, I'm going to challenge you to do this. Every time you read through scripture, every time you read through the gospels and you see Jesus heal somebody, I want you to remember one important thing. Why do the gospel writers put that there? Why do they tell us Jesus healed this person, Jesus healed this person, Jesus healed this person. If you look through, even through the gospel of John, from the very first miracle that John records when Jesus turns water into wine, which is awesome, by the way, to when he raises Lazarus from the dead. There are seven miracles that John records in his gospel. Of those seven miracles, they're increasing in measure, leading up to the resurrection of Lazarus. The eighth one is what? His own. John's trying to tell us something. All of the gospels are trying to tell us something. That every time Jesus heals, he's restoring giving us a glimpse into the restored life that he gives each and every one of us, if only in part here, now, but fully later. So as much as this life can be a pain, the hope in Jesus reminds us that not only will he restore us, but he walks with us in every ounce of our pain and struggle. He doesn't leave us to defend it on our own. And look, look around you. He's left you with this. People willing to cut a hole in somebody else's roof to get you to the feet of Jesus. Let's take it one step further. I asked this question knowing that most people are going to say no. But I asked this question for a reason. Because I want you to see the yeses. Even one is too many. Guys, one is too many. At least five people in this room have had that thought. That's a real thought. That's hard. To be convinced enough that you don't matter enough, that life's too hard. And, th- and for those, those five of you, let's put six on the board because I'm right there with you. Because I've had those thoughts. I've stood over the edge of my balcony in my apartment when I was single, working in restaurants and doing all kinds of other things, staring over that edge going, what would be the end result? The struggle is real, guys. Oh, but so is hope. So is hope. Looking for the last question I want to ask you guys. I forgot where I put it. Hold on one second. I like to ask this question twice. Because some of you said no. If you had a secret struggle, would you tell somebody about it? Many of you said no. Enough of you. 
And I would continue to encourage those of you that are still on that fence to go, okay, yes, I know. And maybe that secret struggle for you is something that is just too hard, too embarrassing, too full of shame for you. But guess what? Jesus is bigger than it all. All of it. And I know that sounds very easy to say, but I cannot express to you enough the freeing experience of being able to say, I've said it out loud. I've written it down. And I'm going to tell somebody about it. And if you still can't say it here, I want you to write down a number. And if you can't remember it, I have a card in my bag and I will give you a card. But I want you to write down this number. It's 494949. It's also up on the screen. 494949. Anything you want. Hello, hi, howdy. Whatever you want. On the other end of that phone, on a computer, is what we call a soul medic. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's never a time that they are not available. 3 a.m., you're feeling depressed, lonely, thinking the lies, letting them win. Text that number. They will listen, and they will pray with you. These people are believers, and they are amazing. If you're not in a place where you can talk to somebody in this room or in your family or someplace else, then please text that number to make sure that your secret struggle does not stay a secret because it cannot have the final say in your future because Jesus is bigger than all of it. Because even though the struggle is real, so is hope. Even if nobody in this room is going to grab a corner of that mat, our soul medics will. Our mental health is... It's hard. It's a hard thing to do. And we would love to continue to connect with you. I'm going to pray for you guys in just a second. But I do have to ask one more question after this because, you know, we like to know how we do. But (laughs) if you'd like to receive newsletters, updates, anything from us, throw your email in there. No, your email is not connected to your polling. So I do not know who that is. I cannot make that connection, just in case you're wondering. We would love to connect with you, love to continue just to give you information and resources and all kinds of things. We have all kinds of great things that we continue to resource those who pay attention to what's going on with Remedy Live. Uh, and we would be happy to continue to be there for you and resource you individually or the church as a whole. And I appreciate that. And I'll give that just one more second. And let me just close with this. The paralyzed man had friends that were willing to do the unthinkable, really, (laughs) with the idea of making a hole in somebody else's roof. But let me encourage you one more time. Grab a corner of somebody's mat. Let somebody grab yours. And together, chase after Jesus. It's not a fix-all. I struggle with this sometimes because I hear it said a lot. And especially in the churches, we struggle with this. We say that if we just pray enough, if we just believe enough, if we just do all the right things enough, that suddenly I'm going to feel better. No. Jesus isn't saying that if you just pray enough, that suddenly all your struggles are going to go away. Maybe. Probably not. The world has fallen. It's hard. But he's walking with us. And if you have ever believed for one second that your struggle 
is because of your sin, get rid of it. If you think that your mental health struggle is because of something you have done, get rid of that. Because even the mistakes that we make, we're forgiven. And he's not counting that against us. Your mental health struggles are not a result of your sin, but they are a result of sin in the world. But Jesus has conquered that sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to throw up the last question, and then I'm going to pray. Because I would love to know what you guys thought about this morning. And we take that back to make sure that we can improve everything that we do to best serve you. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this group, this church, and everything that you're doing here. Uh, It's tremendous. We credit you for it. We thank you for it. And God, I just am so grateful for this conversation that my prayer is that I hope that what was said here was hope-filled and encouraging and compelling enough to continue meaningful conversations, to, to push people forward toward healing, a deeper understanding of you, or even if there's anybody in this room who has not yet met you, that this would push them closer and closer to you. We thank you that you walk with us in our pain, that you're here to heal our pain, and we're thankful for those around us that grab a corner to get us to you in the best way possible. And as always, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.